So good morning, Wellspring Ohana and friends. I'm really excited to get to preach to you today on this Sunday, when I know some of you are on a time schedule. <laughs> no. no, no. What would that be about? Uh, so we're going to go ahead right into the text today in Luke chapter 11, because uh, what I really don't want is to have like people walking out halfway through the message. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I mean, if you need to do it, <laughs> sort of get right into the text. And um, uh, as we do so, I have been informed that this is a red and gold weekend. I've just been told that. And so uh, I kind of Googled for a little bit and I found a couple pictures that looks kind of like red and gold to me. Um, and here we go. The first one that I have. Um, here we go. I think it'll go to that in just a second. There's like kind of red and gold there, maybe, maybe. So I, apparently that team is playing. And then here goes the next one. Okay, there we go. There's some red and gold. Oh, we can tell where people's allegiances lie. <laughs> it's also um, it's also Lunar New Year. So more red and gold, the year of the dragon. Gungi fat choy. So there's that. And then I also hear there's like more red and gold. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, someone is going to be maybe at a sporting event. I don't know. In Japan, I don't even know. We will move right through that. <laughs> Except my, 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 my thing's not working. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We'll, we'll go to blank. Thank you, Stacy. Okay. So for whatever reason, this is a red and gold weekend. Um, we know it's also a weekend where we get to be together here in worship today. And that's truly something we're celebrating. Um, so we're going to look at our text and just see what God has for us today. So if you want to take out your Bibles to Luke 11, I also have in a bulletin and, um, and it'll be up on the screen. Um, and let's go ahead. I'm going to start just right by reading it for us. And we'll talk about context and other stuff in a little minute. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Jesus told them, when you pray, say, Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who's wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Imagine that one of you has a friend, and you go to that friend in the middle of the night. Imagine saying, Friend, loan me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. Imagine further that he answers from within the house. Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. But I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his brashness. So I say to you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. To everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Which father among you would give a snake to your child if the child asked for a fish? If a child asked for an egg, what father would give this child a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, knew how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Friends, this is the word of the Lord today. Thanks be to God. On the face of it, this is a story about prayer. It is. The story opens with uh, 
Jesus going away to pray and the disciples, when he's done, asking him a question. But this chapter, Luke chapter 11, opens after Jesus has done a significant amount of time teaching on the priority of loving God and loving one's neighbor. So in the previous chapter, Luke chapter 10, which we had to skip in our sermon series because it was annual meeting, we decided to do a different message instead. So go and read Luke 10 if you want, part of our listening series. We're going through the book of Luke. Um, it's called Stop, Luke, and Listen. And in Lent, we're going to be continuing on listening in the book of Luke, and we're going to actually move to kind of a different focus starting next week, but we're going to just continue on in the book of Luke all the way up till after Easter. So um, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is teaching on the priority of loving God and loving one's neighbor. And he tells others uh, two sort of jarring, jarring instances where people are kind of confronted with the scandal of what it means to really love God and love one's neighbor. In one of the instances, uh, a lawyer asks Jesus a question, and Jesus tells a story about a neighbor to this lawyer that really kind of blows everybody's minds because he holds up as a good neighbor someone they would never consider to be a good neighbor, someone they actually consider to be antithetical to their way of being, someone against their values. And Jesus holds up that person, a Samaritan, as a good neighbor. And then, as we keep on talking about loving God, then we have the story of two sisters. One of them is sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to his teachings as a disciple. The other one is working in the kitchen, which in the culture of the day is where she belongs. And uh, when, when Jesus is confronted with this, this conflict between them, is the one sitting at Jesus' feet supposed to move or uh, go to the kitchen or can she stay where she is? Uh, Jesus um, illustrates the scandal to that radical obedience to Jesus' way requires, which is that Mary has done nothing wrong. She can sit at Jesus' feet. And actually, sometimes loving Jesus and loving our neighbor looks uh, quite different than maybe what we've come to understand it or the culture of our day tells us it looks like. So Jesus has done all this teaching on loving God and loving one's neighbor. And then here the scene shifts and suddenly we're talking about prayer. The disciples are asking Jesus, um, teach us how to pray. Now, the disciples, this is not the first time they've seen Jesus pray. They've been with Jesus a significant amount of time already. And actually, the book of Luke records other, other stories before now of Jesus going away to pray or of Jesus praying and his disciples seeing that. Jesus is transfigured before their eyes in one of them. But in this today, for some reason, a brave disciple says, Jesus, I, we, we see you've been praying. Will you teach us to pray? We know you. We trust you. We know you're very good at what you do. What's your way? Jesus responds by giving them just a few words to say, a few words uh, of a structure of a prayer, but then shares these two longer stories. These two longer stories show that, yes, this is about prayer, but there's also something going on underneath that Jesus is addressing. These two sketches show that Jesus is listening, and they invite our trust building with God. This is key in any relationship where there is conversation and discussion, where you're knowing and being known. Conversations then involve listening and being heard. So Jesus shares a few brief words. We read them earlier. And the words Jesus shares of praying, they aren't a formula and they're not magic words. They're actually quite similar to rabbinic teaching of Jesus' day, where you start off with um, acknowledging that God is God. May your name be holy everywhere, which ties in, you know, bring your kingdom here. Because if your name is holy everywhere, then that means your will is being done, which just means that your kingdom is everywhere. 
So those two things are tied together. It's acknowledging God before moving in to petition for provision, for daily bread, uh, for forgiveness, that channel of love and connection that flows between us and others and God, and deliverance. Keep us from temptation. Keep us from the evil one. So it's very simple. It's a very simple thing Jesus teaches. And I want to spend more time today on the two stories afterwards, because I think they address something that is not necessarily stated physically by the disciples. But it's something that Jesus knows, because Jesus is listening not just to their words when they ask Jesus teach us to pray, but Jesus is listening to the words behind the words. He's listening to what's not being said. Jesus is listening to the heart, the wondering, the questions, the pain, the doubts, the faith, the emotion, the intent. So number one in your notes, in prayer, God listens to what we say and what we don't say. In prayer, God listens to what we say and what we don't say. Let me, let me unpack this. So stick with me. I'm headed somewhere. As we seek to be a listening church, a church that listens well in a world that really only knows how to talk well. <laughs> so we seek to be a listening church. What does it mean to hear maybe what's not actually being said, but which is the undercurrent, um, the undercurrent in the room? And the undercurrent in the room when that disciple asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Um, I think that disciple had a reason for asking it. And I, I would just invite us to kind of put ourselves in that brave disciple's shoes for a second. Um, why would, if you were a disciple of Jesus, why would you ask Jesus to teach you to pray? There's probably a number of reasons. But the one that comes out most strongly to me is because Jesus is clearly good at praying. <laughs> when Jesus prays, people are healed. When Jesus prays, the world is transfigured. When Jesus prays, the new reality of God is suddenly made real to us. And the other day, my, my friend Donna, she made some really good bread. And I was leaving on a trip, and she gave us this loaf of bread, and it had, like, the best crust. And when you cut into it, it had a really good interior as well. Like, the crumb wasn't too crumbly. It was just perfect. It was amazing bread. And I didn't realize she made it at first, and I wanted to know where she bought it. And I discovered she made it. And I was like, how did you make that bread? Like, I want to know how you made that bread because I want to make it too. You clearly know what you're doing. It's the same idea that maybe a music student might write to someone like maybe Taylor Swift and say, hey, what's the secret to making a successful album? Because you're clearly good at it. Or maybe it's like a little league player asking Shohei Otani how to hit a home run. Why? So you can get it right. Why to ask Donna how to make bread so I could get it right, so I could make amazing bread like her? Why is this disciple asking Jesus to teach him how to pray so you can do it right? So you can know how to pray and things will happen because Jesus prays effectively. Why do they ask Jesus to teach them to pray? Because prayer is hard. And sometimes it feels like we don't get it right. And each one of us in here, I'll start with a positive. I think each one of us in this room have probably had circumstances either directly in our life or people we know where we've seen God answer prayer. We've seen God move in our behalf. We've experienced the presence of God. There's times we've come to God in prayer and we know that God can be an immediate helper and an immediate intervener. But there are other times and other prayers that we're still in prayer for. Things we bring to God again and again, and it feels like there's no traction. Nothing's happening. 
prayers we cried out for and it felt like God answered with the exact answer we did not want. I know there's some prayers I am still praying. I'm still waiting to see movement and transformation in, and it's been years. There's a reason we ask other people to pray for us when we're going through hard times. It's because prayer is hard. <laughs> so disciple asking Jesus, teach me how to pray. I'm wondering if he was asking, maybe if I could get it right, God would answer. Maybe if I just learned the right words, we'd see that powerful transformation too. Maybe if I just learned how to address God in a way that invited action, I'd see what I long to happen happen. What's not being named in the current of this room is mistrust. What's not being named, because what's underneath wanting to get it right? Mistrust. If I don't get it right, you won't be able to come through for me. And mistrust is something that's all around us and in us. I think one of the similarities between the world in, in Jesus' day in the first century AD and the world of our day is that mistrust is everywhere. This is like one of our common currents. In Jesus' day, there was mistrust of the occupying troops. There was mistrust of the legal system, the legal system run by Pilate. There was mistrust of like the Roman uh, puppet uh, king, King Herod. There's all this mistrust. And I could say maybe the dominant theme of our civic life these days, it also feels like it's mistrust. Mistrust in big business, mistrust in the healthcare system, mistrust in the press, mistrust in the government, in corporations, in digital platforms. None of these things seem to be capable of holding us together. People have lost faith in the big C church. And if we're to be really honest, I think there's sometimes we've lost trust in God, where our faith has been shaken too. There are times I know I don't trust God enough to sell what I have and give to the poor. I think there are times we don't trust God enough to say to this mountain, be moved. There's times we don't trust enough to believe that we are really cherished, just as the sparrows, all of which are known by God. There are times we don't really trust that all the hairs on our heads are numbered and seen by the all-seeing one. There are times we don't trust God enough to believe we will be provided for, we will be fed, we will be clothed that justice will win out in the world, that we will be sustained and carried by the everlasting arms. Sometimes, friends, the life of faith is characterized more by a life of mistrust. Why this question teach us to pray? It would be easy to pray if answers just flowed out like fire hydrant, water from a fire hydrant, if we sense God's presence with us always and everywhere, if we loved God perfectly enough to cast out all fear, we wouldn't need to learn specific words or phrases because we would know that what's said and what's not said, what is held and brought before God is enough. We would know that. We would not need to ask, teach us to pray because we would know that when we come before God, the all-seeing one, the all-caring one, the all-giving one, that that would be enough. Jesus knows this and is listening to the much more that's going on than just the words being asked by his disciples. Jesus knows that in this world with so much mistrust, even undermining our best efforts at praying, listening and talking to God, our underlying anxieties and our mistrust of the divine one are there. And that's why Jesus tells these two stories. 
That's why he doesn't end his teaching on prayer with teaching them just words or themes to bring to God and then moving on from there. He continues with these two stories. They haven't asked for these stories. They build on each other. And they address, I think, the mistrust that is not named, but is the silence behind the words. So let's go ahead and look at these two stories. Do we have enough time for that? I'm just getting into it, but we're almost there. It's just, it's just two stories. <laughs> They're very short. One of them is like one sentence long. We can do this. <laughs> you have them there in your text. I'll, I'll share them. I'll uh, tell the story. A friend needs to borrow some bread, but it's the middle of the night. A friend has come on a long journey, and they have none to share. And in the, the culture of their day and in the time of their day, hospitality was everything. Like in, in their day, the women would bake bread in a shared courtyard, and everyone could see how much bread was being made. So you had an idea of who might have leftovers. <laughs> when people came into town, you would know where to send them. So this visitor comes, and it's very late. I don't know why they've been delayed on the road, but it doesn't sound like a good story, because usually when someone arrives at midnight, it's because something has happened to them. And when I hear the story of Jesus telling this, I also wonder, you know, Jesus tells so many stories taken from their shared life. I wonder, was Jesus ever as a young boy woken up in the middle of the night by someone banging on his door, talking to his dad, Joseph, asking for bread? I don't know. But it's a very vivid picture we see here. Banging on the door in the middle of the night. Please, I need three loaves of bread. And the friend, the neighbor inside, I'm going to call the friend the sleeper because we need to have different names. Otherwise, we're going to get confused which he is he. There's a sleeper inside, and the sleeper says, I can't come out. I'm too tired. My kids are here, right? They lived in like kind of one-room places. Everyone, like the kids, the animals would all be sleeping in one room. Like, if you get up, everybody wakes up. It's like, I can't get up. You know, the door's locked. Uh, it's just such a hassle. And yet, uh, the friend keeps asking, and finally, the sleeper gets up and gets the bread. Jesus says, you know, he's going to get up and get the bread. The sleeper's going to wake up and get the bread. Maybe not because they're friends, but because of the brashness. And this is where it gets a little hazy. This is where there's a couple interpretations. But I'm going to share one with you today. It's this word in the Greek. You see, when Jesus uh, says, I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his brashness. Jesus doesn't actually say brashness because Jesus is not speaking in English, right? Uh, Luke records uh, the word there is the word anidea. And this word is only used once in the entire New Testament. It's a hypoxlegomenon, which means it's said once and you don't ever hear it again. So interpreting it is kind of hard. And to make it a little bit more hazy, there's two people in this passage, right? There's the, the knocking friend and there's the sleeping friend. And they're both guys, so the pronouns are he. So you're actually not sure which one this word is referring to. So sometimes translations will do the interpretive work for you, and they'll say that, oh, it's because of the knocker's persistence. The knocker's persistence that he'll get up and answer. The thing with that word persistence is that it doesn't carry the connotations of shame that this word carries. This word carries deep connotations of shamefulness, shamelessness. And so other commentators, modern ones, are saying, actually, there's probably a better way to translate this. Is the asker shameless for asking for food in the middle of the night? Or would the sleeper be shameless for refusing a neighbor's request for hospitality? Would the sleeper be shameless, bringing shame on their whole community by not giving the bread that they have, the family's up anyway, and sharing it with the neighbor who needs it? In the culture of their day, an honor-shame culture, I'm inclined to think the interpretation 
is that one. And I think the, the first one is okay too. When you hear like, keep boldly knocking, persistent prayer, because persistence works. That's not an unfair interpretation. I mean, if we think about it throughout the book of Luke, God is also asking, seeking, and knocking. God is the one who later on in the book of Luke asks, why is there no fruit on this fig tree? I've come to my people looking for good fruit and I don't see any. God is the one who's pictured as, as, a, as um, the head of a household coming back after a long trip and is knocking on the door, waiting for all their friends and household inside to open it and welcome them in and have a huge celebration. God is the one knocking and God is the one seeking. As Jesus said, he's come to seek and save the lost. God is the one seeking like the widow trying to find that one coin that was lost or like the good shepherd trying to find the lost sheep. All of this is in the book of Luke. Who asks, seeks, and knocks? It is God. God is persistent. So it's an okay interpretation to say, be persistent. God is persistent too. God is persistent for you. It's okay to say that. It's also interesting to think, what if this is an invitation to let God be true to God's character? Perhaps, maybe, maybe the relationship's not that great. Maybe you don't trust your relationship with God. Well, we're kind of friends. I don't really know. Jesus is saying, even if they're not friends, because of the character of the person inside, not wanting to be shamed for being shown up to being not hospitable, they're going to give them bread. In other words, perhaps, perhaps God does not answer our prayers because of our reputation, as Sky Jathani puts it, but because of his Perhaps we can depend on God, not because we are the persistent ones who keep asking and seeking, knocking, but because God is the generous and hospitable one and will be true to God's character. God will not be shamed. God will show up to be the God God says God is. It's a different interpretation to consider. In prayer, we've seen that God is listening to the words that are said and God is listening to the words that are not said. The other thing we see about this prayer is that God is listening. God listens. Um, God listens to what we say and what we don't say. And in prayer, the who matters more than the what or the how. The who matters more than how often you're praying, exactly the words you're using. Right? Jesus doesn't end his teaching with giving them like a, a device for memorizing how to say the perfect prayer. He doesn't say, now let's all learn the song now so we can all memorize the words. He doesn't put it into three points and make sure they all start with the same letter. <laughs> oh, us preachers sometimes do that. <laughs> Jesus doesn't do any of that, right? He tells these two stories instead. And both stories are about the who. It's about the who that will get up and will give the bread. And the other who is yet an even more clear picture an even better understanding. And that's when Jesus moves to his big reveal. He starts the prayer with Father. And here now is the story that gives us the understanding of why address to Father. Jesus ups the ante here as he moves to the second story. And I can just imagine him making eye contact with the different dads in the group. Maybe there's a dad like holding a child bouncing a kid. He makes eye contact with them and he says, which of you fathers here, if your kid was hungry, would give him a snake? Those, those dads are gonna be like sitting on their hands. Like, oh, not, not me. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. 
They wouldn't. Probably decent dads. Which of you dads would give your kid a scorpion if they wanted an egg? The answer is no one. No good dad would do that. No good father would do that. And that's Jesus's point. This parent is a good parent. We don't have to walk on eggshells with this parent. We don't have to construct the words perfectly because this is a parent that asks, seeks, and knocks. This is a parent that's listening. This is a parent that can be trusted. Because even though it looks like a story about praying, and it is, it's also a story about trust. And this is where Jesus says, my father can be trusted. If you can be trusted, the best dad among you would never do any of these terrible things to your kids. Wouldn't give them a scorpion, wouldn't give them a snake. You can be trusted and you're evil. <laughs> Don't you love Jesus? Says that? You're evil and you know how to give good gifts to your kids. Do you hear that? Can you, let's all say that together. If you're evil... Wait, well, come on, we can say it. If you're evil, you still know how to give good gifts. You still know how to give good gifts. There we go. Jesus is saying, how much more will your heavenly parent, who is the best, in whom there is no evil, no shadow, in whom we do not need to fear, how much more will he not give you the best gifts of all? That's what Jesus says. He says, if you are then no, uh, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father give? And in this passage, Matthew, who's also writing, Matthew has it, um, fills in the blank there with good gifts. How much more will your father, heavenly father, give you good gifts? And in Luke, I love, because you know, Jesus, I mean, have you ever heard a teacher tell a story more than once? <laughs> I had one teacher that said where he went to school so many times that we started nicknaming him by the name of his school. <laughs> God bless him. He's a lovely guy. <laughs> I won't say the name of his school. <laughs> Teachers often repeat themselves, and Jesus must have told this story way more than once. Elucidating on it, talking about it, um, asking questions. And so that's why it can be your Heavenly Father. How much more can we trust your Heavenly Father to give you good gifts? And then sometimes Jesus would say, good. Like our earliest manuscripts of Luke say, good spirit. And in our our passage of Luke, what we have in our Bibles today, how much more will your heavenly father not give the Holy Spirit? Jesus is letting his disciples know that God will not stop giving to us, even giving God's own life. Think of Luke, who's writing this book, The Good Doctor. Luke goes on to write the entire book of Acts, and Luke sees how the Holy Spirit transformed their community, transformed not just their church, but their surrounding communities. Luke saw the Holy Spirit's work filling people, empowering people, bringing equity, lifting up the widows who needed it, um, being poured out on, on men and women and sons and daughters. Luke saw the Holy Spirit bringing healing and mending and giving people guidance and words to say and increasing generosity so there was not one poor person among them. Luke saw the Holy Spirit as the best of God's gifts. And so Luke, I think he was predisposed. He's got to put Holy Spirit in there. <laughs> the truth is, is that God will not stop giving any good gift, not even stop from giving the gift of God's own life. And I feel like that is something that is hard for us to imagine. It is hard for us to hold in our minds. I don't think we've even begun to imagine how much more good gifts God wants to give us 
for us, for our own sake, for the sake of our families, our children, our community, our world, I don't think we've begun to imagine how much more God has to give and how much more generous and kind and willing to give God is. I don't think we've even begun to imagine what that could look like. I'm a pastor and it's my job to imagine that what that could look like. And I don't have great words for that. I don't, but I'm invited to sit with God's holy imagination and say, how much more will God give us all things? This past week, I was following the story uh, on a social media on this group that I'm on, and uh, it's kind of a sad story, so I'm going to let you know right away that it ends happy, okay? So it's a little disturbing, but it ends happy. And it's disturbing because uh, it was, at, I think, near Iroquois Point in Eva Beach. Um, someone saw a dog thrown out of a window of a car, a moving car, and it was a mama dog. And um, a team of rescuers went, so this was on Thursday, and on Friday, uh, I think it, it disturbed the community. A team of people went out. There were over 20 people. I was seeing in post or went out and they were trying to get this dog to come out from the, the bushes because the dog was injured, you know, needed help, was hungry. And so a team of 20 people came out from the community to woo this dog, to bring food and water, to speak gently to this puppy, to bring this dog out. And the dog was rescued. You can see the dog's feeling a little sad. And there's a little happier picture of the dog after a little while in a loving home. They're bringing this dog out, bringing this dog to the vet, making sure this dog has the food and water it needs. They're loving this dog, not so then they can turn around and be a terrible dog, a dog guardian. They're doing this so this dog can experience love. And these are regular people like you and me, or as Jesus would say, if you are evil, <laughs> these are evil people like you and me. <laughs> these are just regular people. And yet so much kindness and love for this dog that was thrown out this window, that they will find her, that they will get a team of people, that they will bring her to the vet, that they'll make sure she has food, care, and a loving home. Friends, how much more, how much more will your loving heavenly parent not care for you? How much more will your loving heavenly father not find you, not seek and run after you because he will no matter what's in the way. How much more will he graciously, not graciously give us all things? I think the text says, uh, if Jesus, if God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, right? This is in Romans. How much more will not he graciously give us Jesus and everything else too? So friends, God's honor is on the line. God will be true to God's character. And beyond that, God will be true to God's good parenting. So if you're here and you feel like mistrust has become part of your, uh, like the underlying fabric of your, your life with God, I'm just going to put this on a blank slide. If you're here today and you feel like, yeah, you know, I, I identify with that. Mistrust has become sort of the fabric of my life with God. Know that Jesus is here to build trust with you. Maybe it feels like you've been asking and seeking and knocking for a while, like that friend at the door. I need bread. I'm all out, and it's midnight. Maybe it feels like God has been slow to act. It's true that some prayers take a long time to answer, right? Some prayers take a lifetime to answer. There's so many people involved, so many hearts and minds that need to be changed and reoriented to God. Some prayers have taken a lifetime to answer, and you, some of you here, are the answer to your ancestors' prayers, some of you here are answer to prayers of people that have long since passed. But you are here because an auntie, um, someone in, in children's church growing up, 
Um, maybe a grandmother, grandfather prayed for you. Perhaps you were an answer to someone's prayer. You never even met them, but someone in the local church nearby was praying for youth in the area or for someone in your, your arena of business or work. Friends, some of you are the answer to prayers have been prayed a long time. Some prayers take lifetimes, and that is why God persists, why God asks, seeks, and knocks. Because God's honor is on the line. God will be true to God's character, and God will be true to God's good parenting. As I close, I just want to say I think God wants to give us so much more than what we've allowed ourselves to receive. So we're going to have a call and response. I'm going to say, how much more? And you're going to say, so much more. Okay, so here we go. God wants to give us more than we've allowed ourselves to receive. How much more? How much more? How much more? So much more. Let's pray. God, thank you that you do not withhold anything from us, any good thing. Thank you for sharing your very life with us. Your life and your son Jesus poured out on the cross. Your Holy Spirit given freely to fill and empower us. Thank you that even when it feels like it is hard that you are there and that you know it is hard and that you speak into that and invite our trust building. Teach us of how trustworthy you are. Show us how good you are. Open our eyes to receive your so much more. In Jesus' name, amen.